This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Wedding of Cana. Jesus turning the water into wine. It's such a familiar story to us. And I just want to just bring out some, I think, real truths from this particular story. God's been really speaking to you about this over, over the last few months, really. So I just thought it would be good just to, to look at some things from this, this particular story. Uh, John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine... The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Just to say, before we go into it, uh, that word there, woman, wasn't a derogative term. You know, we say to a woman in today's community, you know, who knows, man, if you say to your wife, Woman, <laughs> you're not going to get a response. How many realise that? Or you are, it's not going to be a positive one. Uh, so it was actually a term that, it was actually a quite a gentle term actually, but it's often cultures change and just whether. And also, just to bring this out, the fact that Jesus was, and he says, my hour's not yet come. He said, I only do really, I'm, I'm listening to what the Father says. Nobody's going to push me or guide me or, or try and control me. I only do what the Father tells me to do. How many can see that? So just to get hold of that before we look into it. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Then Jesus said to them, fill the, water, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it, where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior you've kept good until now. Just as often, you know, weddings in those days didn't last a few hours. But Dave and Lisa got about this. Uh, they lasted weeks. You know, you're talking three, how many were like a three-week wedding? Three-week wedding. How many of you, you need a lot of refreshments for a three-week wedding. And so that's why what they do, they kind of have the best stuff to begin with, and so when people kind of weren't quite with it, you drink out the rubbish stuff, and people didn't even know what they're drinking, you know what I mean? They've lost that sense, if you would say, of taste and everything else, so that's the idea of it. Uh, this is the beginning of the signs of Jesus did in Gal- Canaan and Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Just say that often wine in the Bible, it represents new power, represents transforming power, abundant life, New joy, new move of God, new passion. And this story really is a, is a story of, of, of the power of transformation. There's one you get a hold of. The water is transformed into wine. Just think of the miracle of that, for example. How many know that God superseded time for that to become wine? Is that right? Wine takes years to mature. And I see that when I was researching this, I discovered about the wine. You know, some of the most mature wine can be up to 100 years old. And those, you know what that's worth? 
£194,000 to buy that kind of wine. How many know you might not be having that on the table? Amen. So you can just see how there's a time to it. So almost God superseded the power of time for water to become wine. But here's the point. It's transformed in order to be poured out. That's the goal of it. It's not just there just to stay in the, you know, just to stay there and nothing happen. It's transformed to be poured out. And this is what we need to get a hold of. God transforms us so he can pour us out. Get a hold of that. God does a work in you to, so that you can be poured out. He transforms your life, he transforms my life with the view so that he can pour us out. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that right? It's not out there somewhere, the kingdom's within us. But it's within us to be released from us. Can you see that? God's at work in you, God's pouring into you, he's pouring the kingdom in you, not for us just to enjoy it and and just embrace it, but God works in you to work through you. He transforms you to work through you. He pours into you so that he can pour out. You think about it. What makes something a swamp? The reason why something becomes a swamp is because it's got no outlets. That's a swamp, is that right? It's got no outlets. And because it's got no outlets, it becomes a swamp. Why is the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? It's because it's got no outlets. And that's the same with us. Unless something is poured out of us, what God pours into us, we often become a swamp, spiritually speaking. That's been the problem with a lot of moves of God. God has brought about outpourings, but those outpourings become almost swamps because it wasn't if you like, released. It wasn't, it wasn't an outlet. And so God pours into you so there may be an outlet. He can release what's in you. How many can see that? And really, this is what it's all about. The water is transformed into wine so it can be poured out. Amen? Now, do you know that there's a, there's a process for something to become wine? And I want you to just a few minutes to think about the process of what something has to go through for it to become wine. For example, the grape. The grape is not yet wine. That grape has to go through a transformation for it to become wine. In fact, you can go home today and say, what did the pastor preach on? You can say, he taught us how to make wine, amen? <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> but there's the, 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 the process for a grape to become wine. First thing that has to happen, the skin has to be torn away. It has to be pulled from the branch. There has to be a removing from the grape from the vine. It has to be pulled away. The skin has to be torn off it. That's the process in us. God has to sometimes separate us, pull us away from things. Sometimes there are things that we are relying on, crutches that we hold on to, the whole back. God transforming in our lives. Things that we held on to, things that we hold on to. Almost sometimes God has to come along and boom, kick the crutches, if you like, from underneath us. The things that we rely on, the things that we are trusting so often are hindrances from God working in our lives. So he has to pull us away, remove things. How many have experienced that? The removing of things. The things that we thought were, were good in our lives, but they were holders, they were hindering us. And, and sometimes God has to remove the things that we're relying on and trusting. 
The next process of the grape is not particularly pleasant. We, we don't do it today, you'd be glad to know. But in those days, they would tread on the grapes. You know, why would you drink that stuff? But you know, you, you, they, you would tread on the grapes. They would trample it in and they'd trample it down. And I think it's a picture of what God has to do in the process of our lives. Sometimes there are points where we've got to go through periods of, of breaking. I found more and more that often God can't use us often because we're not broken. God can't use unbroken vessels. Sometimes we have to go through a process of, of brokenness. Bible says that we're, we're, just tray, we're just clay vessels. The treasure's in us. But sometimes those clay vessels have to be broken to allow the treasure that's within us to be released. Amen. You know, seeds. They once found a seed that actually was from the tombs of a pharaoh. And those seeds were thousands of years old. And there's the incredible thing. Those seeds, they could plant in the ground and those seeds still could grow. Because the potential of the life of the seed is within it. It's, it's surrounded by a hard outer shell. And sometimes that seed has to be placed in the ground and water flows, if you like, into, the, into that seed and the microscopic holes in that seed, the hard outer shell, are broken open so the life that's within that seed can burst forth. And I think that's true of all of us to a certain degree. We can be so, our hearts can be so easily hardened. And our hearts become hard, not necessarily what, of what, because of what happens to us, but because of how we respond to what happens to us. And we can get hard. We can get disappointed. Our, and, and this hard outer shell gets hard. I've probably shared this before, but do you remember when you were first saved? You loved everybody, amen? Oh, I just love you. Oh, I love you. You're wonderful. You're amazing. And you just loved everybody. You thought church was like heaven on earth. Oh, but then you came into a shock. You discovered that not everybody's perfect. You were, but not everybody else seemed to be like that. And so you got hurt. You got offended. You got disappointed. And slowly but surely, your heart became hard. And the hard outer shell hinders the treasure, the life of Christ flowing out. And so God sometimes will allow certain experiences to hit our lives. And so that hard outer shell becomes to be broken and we become a little softer, a little bit more tender of heart, a little bit more broken. And it's out of that brokenness that God begins to manifest his life through us. Can you say amen? How many are glad for the, for the grape that's crushed? The grape that that begins to be crushed and moved. Next thing that happens is fermentation. Fermentation. That has to happen for, for, the, for the wine to grow. And what happens in, in, part in, in what happens is, is that all the, if you like, the liquid begins to bubble up. It all just begins to boom, bubble. All the impurities come to the surface. That has to happen for the wine to keep its, its flavour and its maturity. All, all the impurities during that time 
It floods to the surface, all the rubbish, all the junk. It just comes to the surface. And you'll find this. One of the ways you sometimes know how God is working in your life because you find things begin to rise to the surface. Things that you weren't even aware that was there. We think that when God's moving, that we actually, that, 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 that's a time where, where we feel happy and joyful, which we do. But I found when God's moving, God begins to reveal things in me I never saw before. Certain attitudes, certain things that I was not aware of, but when God begins to work and move in me, there's a spiritual fermentation and all the rubbish, all the impurities begin to rise to the surface in my life. And God begins to remove it and deal with it. One thing about fermentation, it can never happen in a cold room. It has to be in a certain temperature for that wine to ferment. In other words, if we are cold of heart, then there's the reality is, we'll never change. It's only the fire of God, it's only the presence of God that will cause there to be change in our life. You see, the flesh likes to be in a place of coldness. It likes to be in a place where it's comfortable. It doesn't want to be disturbed. Because when there's a revival, sometimes some people don't like it, because in the midst of revival, things come to the surface. And it's only in the fire we change. Things don't change unless we have the fire. The bondages remain. The attitudes remain. The way of living remains. Nothing changes because we're not encountering the warm power of the Prince of God. And so we never change. There's no transformation that takes place because it can only happen in the warm fire of God. Can you say amen? And we say, Lord, change me. <laughs> the fermentation that takes place. Let me show you one verse. I'm trying to think. Jeremiah 48, verse 11. Maybe a verse you've never quite noticed before, but it says this Moab has been at ease from its youth, has settled on these dregs, and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Now he has gone into captivity, therefore his taste remains in him, and his scent has not changed. What's that saying? He's saying the status quo remained. They remained at the same level. They became stagnant. There was no change. No, they became comfortable. And because of that, there was a stagnation in them. There's no change. They become stagnation. We remain at the same level. We remain at the same place. But God says, I've taken them and I'm pouring them from vessel to vessel. When you pour them from a vessel to a vessel, all the dregs remain in the previous vessel. And God wants to do that with us. He wants to pour us out because so all the things of our past are so easy to cling on to us. The things that hold on to us and cling on to us can be poured out of us. And we can become the kind of the people who are living and experiencing the new wine. Amen. And here's the next thing. Jesus said, fill it to the brim. That's a very important mistake because if you leave too much if you don't fill it to the brim, you know what happens? Bacteria gets into that wine and makes it bitter. Changes, it affects the taste, it gets bitter. What a, what a challenge. 
That's why we've got to keep filled with the Spirit because if we're filled, there's no room for anything else. Is that right? The more filled we are, the less room there is for anything else to fill our life. The less filled we are, there's a vacuum there that all kinds of spiritual bacteria can get into us because we're not filled enough. The more filled I am, the less room there is for anything else. Amen? And that's a powerful truth right there. To be filled so we have room for nothing else in our life. Amen? That's why we need the new wine to fill us and, and encounter our lives as God begins to fill us, as we're filled to the brim. I was just thinking about this, actually, it just came to me that I all my family says, why is it you never fill tea to the top? They always say, always the, the word was, I need a, a stepladder to get your tea sort of idea. Because every time I did a mug of tea, it'd always be kind of really kind of low. It'd always, I'd, leave, I'd, I'd never fill it to the top. And I thought, why do I do that? So why, why do I not? I can't stand to fill it right to the top. And I suddenly realised why that was. When I was young, my mum, we used to be very posh, not really, but we used to have cups. Remember cups and saucers? And she always used to fill it right to the top. So by the time I got it, or I picked it up, I used to hate it. There was tea in the saucer. How many hated that? I used to hate to see tea in the saucer. And it's almost from that point on, I could never fill, even when we got to mugs, I could never fill it to the brim. So this idea of this spilling. But there's a truth in that. that the reason why you're filled to the brim is because something in you spills out. In other words, as God fills me, what God's filling me with should spill out. When something hits me, when there's a challenge in my life, something of God spills out in the midst of it. Because what's in me has to come out of me, amen? And it's only sometimes as the things touch us and the challenges come that the spilling comes out. In fact, that's the time when you really know what's in you. It's not when things are going well. It's when the challenges come. It's when maybe people don't treat you the way you want to be treated that we really find out what's really inside you. Because what's in you has to come out of you. It's what's spilled. So there's this process of wine that takes place. But then Jesus says this. Then this statement is the next thing we need to look at. This next statement. Here's what Mary says, which is a powerful truth. He says, whatever he says to you, do it. In other words, if we are to become the wine, the new wine that God wants to pour into us, there has to be this response that says, whatever you say, I will do it. The wine, the wine went out, sorry, the wine, the wine went out, but what's the solution? Do what he tells you to do. If there's something in your life and you're wondering what to do, do what he says for you to do. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says, do it. And here's the incredible thing. This is the most craziest thing in the world. Fill jars with water. How many would say in the natural, that doesn't seem a solution to the problem? Is that right? We've run out of wine. I tell you what, go and fill the water jars with water. That seems utterly and totally ridiculous. Why not go to the supermarket and get a few bottles? Amen. Here's a solution. Do something that seems so ridiculous. Get, get a jar and fill it with water. Here's one to see. God moves often 
in what the Bible terms, and I think it's a, it's a term that's scriptural, believe it or not, and I term it the foolishness of God. The Bible says God takes the fo- The foolishness of God confounds the wise. And God moves in foolishness, in a sense, that which appears foolish to the natural mind. For example, an army's going to battle. They're about to face a battle. Well, you know what God told them to do? Put the praises on the front line. Can you imagine the British army in Afghanistan? I'll tell you what we're going to do, guys. We're going to get loads of people from the church and we're going to put them on the front line and send them out. They're the worshippers in the front line. It seems utterly ridiculous, is that right? But as they did what he told them to do, victory take came about. God tells Moses to build a boat in a desert. Is that right? And through, sorry, what did I say? Noah, I meant Noah. God tells Joshua, I got that right, if you want to bring that wall down, then walk around it. Just keep walking around it. Don't do anything, don't say anything, just walk around it. See, these things appear to the natural mind utterly foolish. But often, if we're to see God move in our life, God will require of us to do something that to our natural mind appears foolish. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because that will become the key to your breakthrough. That will be the key to your miracle. Whatever he says to you, do it. It might be to give something. It might be to go and do something. Whatever it is, that will be the key to your breakthrough. And the moment we do it, God begins to work in our and the reason often we don't experience the transformation that we should experience. The reason why we're not encountering the new wine that God is so desperately wanting to pour into us is because so often we're not doing what he tells us to do. If we would do it, we would see an incredible move of God. There was a great revivalist, Charles Finney, who said this. He says, every new move of God begins with a new move of obedience. How many found that in their own life? Just when it seems ridiculous and foolish, yet you act upon what God says, and God releases a new move in your life. A new work, a new transformation, a new move, a new limit, a new height you reach. Not because you worked it, not because you reasoned it out, but because you says, God, I am going to do what you have told me to do. Can you say amen? It's often doing that. It's always an act of faith. Maybe you're here today. You see what? I don't feel God moves in my life as he once did. I don't feel God near to me as he once used to be. I don't feel God speaking to me as he once used to speak to me. Maybe you need to retrace your life and ask yourself this question. Have I done what he last told me to do? Because God will wait until you obey him. He, he, He requires of you to act on the last word he gave you. And if you act on the last word he gave you, I guarantee you'll receive a new word. Can you say amen? 
and what it will take, it will always be an act of faith. Always be that, that, that stepping out. I think the one thing that releases the new wine to operate in us, one thing that causes God to work in us and transform us, is when we make an act of faith. It's a verse that's really challenged me, actually. It's a very simple, known verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, there are lots of things I could do, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm pleasing God. Because the only thing that really pleases God, it's when it's done in faith. It's when it's done with dependency on God and when it's done acting on what he has told me to do. That's when it pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And God will always require action. Faith is something that's active. Faith is something that we act upon, what we believe. Belief, faith is faith in action. It's actually doing something with what God has said for us to do. I think the greatest problem often in in the Western church is, is passivity. We just wait and expect God to do it all. But sometimes God will require action. He'll require us to make a step. He will require us to act on what we believe. We can't say we really believe it unless we act on what we believe. Is that right? And so God sometimes will require us to act on what he says. To do what he says as an act of faith. We may not feel it. People may think it's crazy. People may think it's ridiculous. But we will act upon us because we really believe that God has spoken to us. Amen? Faith always requires action. And you find that throughout the Bible. I think of the, the Bible speaks of three lepers. And they were sitting there. And they thought to themselves, if we just stay here, we're going to die. We're just going to die. We may as well get up and at least do something because we've got nothing to lose. We're going to die anyway. And the Bible says because they got up and they did something, they were delivered and saved. God will give you a dream. God will give you a promise. But sometimes nothing will happen in that dream. Nothing will happen in that promise unless you activate it. Unless you do something with it. Unless you act upon it. I wonder how many dreams, I wonder how many promises God has given to us that lie dormant in us because we never really acted on what he said. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because that dream will always just remain a dream. That promise will never be activated in your life, sometimes, unless you act on what he says. Do you remember time and time in the Bible? That sometimes, people, if you like, activated Jesus to do a miracle in them. I think of Bartimaeus. The Bible says, Jesus was passing him by. Jesus not even noticed him. But he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him and responded to his faith. And so many times in the Bible, you'll see time and time again, where people acted, people responded, people did something to initiate a miracle, to initiate a move of God. Whatever he says to you, do it. That act, that stepping out, that moving out, that releases God to release 
the new wine in us. Can you say amen? Acting, demonstrating. Acting might mean for you to go and sh- to do to to help with to, to give something to somebody. Acting might mean demonstrating your love in some way to bless somebody. Acting might mean standing on the word where everything else seems contrary to it. Everything else is totally opposite. But you're saying, God, I'm going to stand on your word. I'm not going to be be overwhelmed by my feelings and my circumstances. Acting means I'm going to stand on this word. Acting might mean praying. Because I believe praying changes things. And by praying, I'm acting, believing, I'm acting in my faith, believing that God will change something. Amen? Acting might mean taking authority over some things. I think there's some things that we need to take authority over and say, devil, no more. I'm taking authority over you in that situation. You're not going to attack my family in that way. You're not going to destroy my life in that way. I'm taking authority over what you are doing. I'm taking action. The violence... Take it by force, says Jesus, regarding the kingdom. There's, there's an action. There's a stirring. There's a moving. There's not a passivity, but a, a standing forth and saying, enough is enough. God has said this, and God will bring this about, and nothing is going to take me away from what God has said. Whatever he says, do it. And you'll see a move, a work, a mighty move of God. Have thought about this as well? Jesus didn't say, water pots, wine appear. <laughs> I'm going to lay hands on the pots and this suddenly wine's going to appear in the water pots. You notice he didn't do that. He took what was natural and transformed it. He took water and transformed the water into wine. He didn't suddenly make wine appear but he took what was natural, so it became supernatural. And I found that a principle throughout the Bible. Often God will take natural things and do supernatural things with them. Amen? He'll take your talents. He'll take your resources. He'll take your abilities. He'll take your gifts. And when you offer them to him, he'll take them and do something supernatural to them. God takes natural things to impact the earth to do supernatural things with it. And here's the point. If I withhold my resources, if I withhold my talents, if I withhold my gifts, if I withhold the potential that's given to me, then I am hindering heaven from impacting earth. Because God takes natural things to impact earth with supernatural power. He just doesn't allow it to appear, but he takes what's in your hand, if you like, to do something supernatural with it. Can you say amen? There's really, I'm almost going to close. There's the next thing. She says something. He says, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Can't do it. In those days, wineskins were, basically, were, 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 were animal skins. And they'd soak them in water and often soak them in oil. So they'd be flexible. Because when wine is poured in wine, I mean, no wine expands. And so if, that wine, if, if those skins are inflexible, it would, just burst the, it would just burst the skin. So they've got to be flexible. God wants to pour new wine into us. 
And there's the issue. We have to have the ability to change. We can't stay as we are. Because if we do, we'll never be able to receive all the fullness of what God wants to do in us. We've got to be willing to change. We've got to be willing to be adaptable. We've got to be willing to change. You know, there's a word. It's an interesting word that was created in the 1960s. Ever read this word, paradigm shift? Ever read that word? A paradigm shift was created in the 1960s by a scientist. And he, and he basically said this. He says that, that where there's been a new idea, when that new idea is received, when a new way of thinking is received, it brings an incredible change. Let me give you an example. There's a company that they actually gave an idea to a top DVD rental company. They said to them, we've got an idea to put films online. And that rental company says that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And they, re- they, they rejected the idea. They couldn't accept that that change, if you like. So they rejected the idea. That company said, okay, we'll do it ourselves. And they became Netflix, which are one of the biggest companies now in terms of films anywhere in the world. Because there was a willingness to realise this change. And if there's change, I need to change with it. God is a God of new things. He's always doing new things. That means, in order for us to accommodate what he's doing, we have got to be constantly willing to change. There's got to be change in us. There's got to be a willingness to adapt and change. Change the way we think. Change the way we do things. Because if we don't, then we miss the move of God because God can't pour new wine into old wine skins. Think about this. All the blessings, all the moves of God, in a sense, were never meant to be permanent. When the children of Israel went into the, in the wilderness, God fed them by manna. Is that right? But the point was, it didn't last forever. There came a time when it was going to be changed. And the Bible says, the manna ceased. And now they had to change. To move forward, they had to be willing to change. Because the manna ceased. And that's the things in the things of God. There has to be that willingness to change of what God wants us so we can keep moving forward. God is a God of new things. That means we've got to make adjustments, make changes. Let go of things that maybe God has finished with. We've got to change things, deal with things, remove things, move forward. We can't get stuck in the old when God wants to do the new. That's an amazing thing sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't take a massive adjustment. Sometimes they can just be minor adjustments. Minor adjustments can make major impact on your life. Just to change an attitude can bring an incredible transformation in your life and in other people's lives. It might be to forgive someone. It might be to remove something in your life that needs to be removed. But whatever it is, you know, now why this is coming to me, I do not know. There's a story, I always remember when I was about 16, which is at least 10 or so years ago, but I remember this story, and it's the story of the rusty nail. How many of you have heard the story of the rusty nail? Good. 
this man said to me, this guy said, I'm going to give you my house. You can have everything in this house. The only thing I want to keep is an old, rusty nail. And that man said, that's a pretty good deal. I get the house and all you want to keep is an old, rusty nail. He said, yeah, that's okay, fine. Two weeks later, the man turned up and he brought a bag of manure and he hung it he says, you can't bring that in here. He says, that's my old rusty nail. I can hang anything on that old rusty nail because that belongs to me. So he hung a whole bag of manure. How many realise the, the effects that would have on the house? Three weeks later, he turned up. House was stinking by now. And now he brings a dead dog. He says, you can't bring that in here. So come to hang my dead dog on that old rusty nail. And the whole house was contaminated and ruined. And sometimes we can have things that we don't think are that important. And the enemy will hang all kinds of things on it because we're unwilling to change. We're unwilling to remove it out of our life. We're unwilling to confront it and deal with it. And it hinders the process of what God is doing, changing new wine. The manna ceased. How many found that sometimes God will, will do certain things to force the change? Have you read that? A friend will move away. A career change. Something just happens in our life. Because not only does God open doors, but he also closes them as well. And what God is doing, he's positioning us for something new. He's changing us, he's putting us in a position so we can receive a new move of God. And all we need to do is let go of the old so we can be recipients of the new. Let go of the old to receive the new. Have you ever heard of Steve Job? Have you ever heard of him? Job, Job, whatever his name is. He's the guy who created Apple. And when that company had been going a few years, they got rid of him. They, they sacked him, believe it or not. They got rid of him. And so he had to start a whole new company, learn whole new, he had to learn new skills, new abilities, and start a whole new company. Years later, that company was so successful, Apple bought it, and he became CPO again. And he says he, he was so grateful for that situation because through that situation he developed, he grew, he learned new skills, new abilities and that company became better than even what it was before. Don't hold on to the old and God wants to do the new. Can you say amen? Let me close with this. This is what they said when they tasted that new wine. They said, that new wine, that, that wine, that's far better because most people leave, use the best to begin with, but you've saved the best till last. And that struck me. Saving the best till last. Because God always works that way. God always has the best. No matter where you are in God, the best is still to come. Amen? No matter how old, how, how many experiences you've had with God, the best is yet to come. Because God is in the is in the work of restoration. He's continually restoring and bringing about better things in our lives. 
That's what he does all, all, all the time. He's restoring, he's working. So the best will always be yet to come. Can you say amen? Continually working. And here's what I want to close with really, this picture. That wine was of the highest quality. They said you saved the best till last. It's of the highest quality. We want a taste of it. Because it's of such high quality. And this is what I believe with all my heart. As we allow these processes to go on, we allow God to change us and we adjust and we move with him. The reason why God is doing all that is that over our lives there becomes a quality. The people want a taste of what we've got. They say, and they look at your life, we want the joy that you have. We want that peace. We want the way you live your life. We want that for us. We see the quality of your life. We see the way you live your life out before us. We see that wine and that God working in you and what you've got, we want. We want. That's why God's doing it. So what we have, people really want it. They want what we're tasting. They want what we're encountering. They want what we're experiencing. Really, the issue has been over over the centuries really, is when the world looks at the church, they don't really want what we've got. They even say things like this, I've got enough problems of on my own, why do I want any more, amen? I'm miserable enough, why do I want what you've got? That's often been the response. Because often they've seen in us no different to what they see around them. No different. But I'm praying for myself and for all of us to, to say, that God was so saturated just with new wine, that we are so transformed that we stand out. We are people of quality, people of excellence, that when people look at us, they say, I want what you've got. I've seen you've gone through incredible difficulties, but I see the way you live your life in the midst of that. I see you've experienced that kind of crushing thing, but... I see how you've dealt with that situation, the way you've responded, the way your life beams and the joy and the peace that's in you. I really want what you have. It's contagious. Can you say amen? Because the quality is just so awesome. I've got to have a taste of it. Amen? That's what God's doing. It. Transformation. So we transform others. I say, look at us. Amen? Let's just come before him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. New wine is on the agenda of heaven. Amen. He wants to pour it out. I think it's a great time to be alive because he saved the best till last. The best is yet to come. The best of what God is about to do. I believe these are our days where God is unfolding things as never before. We're saving the best until last. How awesome is that? This is the generation of the new wine. We're saving the best till last. Hallelujah.
Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelam.co.uk.